0: Hey, good morning everyone. My name is Ben. Welcome to Four Corners Church. I'm so glad to see you on this holiday weekend and a special welcome to all of our campuses at the lake, at the mountains, and in your bed. <laughs> I want to say welcome to all of you as well if you're watching online. So, uh, hey, today and next week we're ramping up for really a special day around here. Um, we call it a food truck rally. But since you're here and you're an insider, I want to let you know what's really going on. It's not just about food or food trucks or an event what it really is, is the kickoff of a new ministry year for us. We'll be 14 years old in two weeks. Uh, it's, It's been an amazing ride. And every year on our anniversary, rather than making it about us, we make it about our guests. We make it about the reason we started this church to begin with. We started this church in part so that we would have a place to invite friends and family, people from our community, people in our lives. And we'd give them a place to think about God and God's role in their life. And we'd greet them with warm hospitality, we'd love them right where they are, and we'd preach the truth of God and God's Word to the best of our ability, and we'd serve families that way. And so what we would like for you to do, if you don't mind, is to pray for us uh, in the next couple weeks. Pray for your church, pray for your staff. We're ramping up in a big way. We'll kick off a brand new message series about families and doing family well, because that's core to our mission. We're here to help families become fully developing followers of Jesus. And we also want to have plenty of guests in the room. And so the simplest thing for you to do is say to your friends, say to people, you know, hey, come to my church with me. And after service, we'll go out together and have meals um, at, and have lunch together at one of the food, the food trucks. So there'll be about 12, uh, 10, 10 to 12 food trucks here. You'll uh, really have great uh, variety of things, different price points, everything from like five bucks up to like 20 bucks. So you'll have great stuff to do. But really at the core of this, this is an opportunity to invite your friends to come be a part. And when we kick off this new message series, hopefully engage long enough and they can experience what God has for them as well. I'm going to take you to a passage of scripture today as we get our hearts ready for the next couple of weeks. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 10, 2 Samuel chapter 10. You can also open up your message notes. It's in there as well. I'm going to be dealing with all, virtually the whole chapter, but I want to start by reading just a couple of verses as we begin, all right? So 2 Samuel chapter 10, uh, verse 2, a story from the Old Testament. In this story, we're going to get some practical insight on life and something that happens to all of us. More importantly, we're going to get a picture of Jesus in this Old Testament story, and we're going to get, I think, some marching orders. This is a story of war, a time of kings and battle. We're going to get some marching orders as God's army here in this earth today, carrying out his message of love, all right? So 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 2, when David's men came to the land of the Ammonites, The Ammonite commander said to Hanun, their lord, Do you think David is honoring your father by sending envoys to you to express sympathy? Hasn't David sent them to you only to explore the city and to spy it out and overthrow it? So Hanun seized David's envoys, shaved off half of each man's beard, cut off their garments at the buttocks, and sent them away. When David was told about this, he sent messengers to meet the men, for they were greatly humiliated. The king said, stay at Jericho till your beards have grown, and then come back. I want to take you to one verse from the New Testament, Luke chapter 17, verse 1. Then he, that's Jesus, then he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offense should come. I don't normally do this, but would you do this with me? Would you bow your heads and let's uh, ask God to be a part of our conversation today? Would you pray with me right now? Father, today we're grateful that we can gather in your church, open up your word, be stirred by your spirit, sing songs of how great and good you are, to be reminded that as your body began to breathe, all of human destiny was changed. We're grateful, Lord, that you're showing up in this place today. We come to your word with humble hearts, with open minds. We want to receive what you have to say to us. God, I'm grateful for almost 14 years of service in this church. I'm grateful for a church that has reached out into its community. And God, I pray that today, as we look at your word, you would inspire, you would renew, you would encourage, you would heal, you would build up. I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. So our story finds us with a hero of the Old Testament, a guy by the name of David. If you haven't been around church for very long, you may know David as the guy who has a young Shepherd boy goes to the battlefield to take lunch to his brothers, and on the way ends up killing Goliath, the great big enemy of Israel. As his life progressed, he became a king, but there was a season in his life before he was king when he was on the run. He was on the run from the previous king of Israel. His name was Saul. And God had told David he would be king, and God began to bless David's life and give him favor, and David began to do exploits like kill Goliath, and David began to be a mighty man of valor and a warrior, and Saul, the king, grew jealous of David, grew jealous of his fame, grew jealous of the shadow that David was casting over his own leadership, and Saul set out to kill David. It's a horrible story. In Israel's history, where you have a king in leadership kind of abusing his power, using it to to advance his own agenda instead of seeking the heart of God about a matter. That's what was going on. And in a moment of weakness, when David was on the run, David turns his attention to some of the enemies of Saul. One of these enemies is the father of a guy mentioned in the passage we just read, Hanun. Hanun's father is an enemy of Saul, and Hanun's father begins to connect with David to help David through this terrible season in his life. David's grateful. Years pass. David becomes king. Hanun's father passes away. And upon hearing about Hanun's father's death, David decides to send emissaries to attend the state funeral, you you may have been watching the news this week and seen something very similar in our modern culture. Uh, Senator John McCain passed away, and his funeral events begin to happen. There would be emissaries, there would be representatives of government in every area of life that impacted his life, and every area of life that his life impacted. And they show up and they say good things and they represent the goodwill for the family and the honor they're represented. In their hearts for that person that passed away. And that's what's going on right here in our Bible. But this story of David and his engagement with the son of a friend gives us a chance to have an important conversation. A conversation that you've had with yourself already. I mean, what we're gonna talk about today is not new, this is as old as human relationships. Jesus mentioned our subject briefly in Luke 17.1. Jesus said it this way, we read the words, it's impossible that offenses will not come. It's impossible in life that you're going to get through this world, you're going to breathe all your breaths, you're going to see all your things, you're going to walk all your walk and come to the end. It's impossible to do all those things and when you get there to not have been offended along the way. Offense is going to come. That's what Jesus said. One of the the reasons why I think the Bible is reliable to give us truth about life and about ourselves and about God is when the Bible deals with issues that aren't pleasant, it tends to deal with it very directly. A lot of fairy tales gloss over the hard parts of life. You know, they sum up life in short phrases that make it sound almost too good. Like, for instance, they lived happily ever after. That's how a lot of the stories that we like to tell our kids end, and it doesn't really reveal the challenges of the dynamics of the relationship that always comes anytime there's love present, anytime people are connecting. But when the Bible talks about life, it talks about it in the most honest and transparent and vulnerable ways. Jesus' own words were these, that it's impossible for you and I to go through life and not have experienced offenses. That's what happens with David here. That's what happens with David's men. In our story that we're going to read, and the blanks that we're going to look at that are already filled in for you so that you can stay focused not on necessarily writing but listening today, in this story we're going to see how offense comes to people who are doing the right thing. I mean, the people that are going to be hurt today in the story are doing the king's bidding. They're doing an honorable thing. They're showing up at a state funeral. They're representing the growing nation of Israel to its surrounding community states. It's a gesture of honor and respect, goodwill. And yet when they do it, what happens is offense occurs. Some really like ugly stuff. And very quickly as you read the story, you realize it's not just a story that's, you know, 2,500, 3,000 years old. No, 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 no. Even though their dates and times and situations are different, it is a very contemporary story. Because it happens over and over and over again. It might have even happened to you in one form or another this very week. And if it hasn't happened to you this week... Guarantee it's already happened to you, and if by chance you made it to the room today and you've never been offended, just put your seatbelt on because it's going to happen. I mean, you're either going about to be offended, you're in an offense, or you've been offended. I mean, it's just, just the way that the life happens. So with that said, let's uh, look at our message notes, and let's begin at the top of the story, the top of the chapter, all right? 2 Samuel chapter 10, in the course of time, the king of the Ammonites, that's the nation state next to Israel, died, and his son Hanun succeeded him as king. David thought, I'll show kindness to Hanun, son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. That was when he was running from Saul. So David sent a delegation to express his sympathies to Hanun concerning his father. Let's... Jump back and forth between the message notes and the blanks, all right? Number one, offenses and hurts are guaranteed in life. That's what Jesus said. They're guaranteed in life. And it doesn't matter how strong of a person you are, how emotionally put together you are, how spiritual you are, how physically fit you are, how much money you have, where you are in life, your degree. doesn't matter what's going on. Offenses are going to touch your life. There are no supermen and superwomen in here. And in fact, it's at the point of offense that sometimes we're reminded just how human our experience is. The story is told of Muhammad Ali, the famous boxer. He was on a plane and the stewardess walked by and noticed that he had not put on his seatbelt as the plane was taxiing ready for takeoff. And the stewardess looks at Muhammad Ali and says, "Uh, Mr. Ali, you need to put your seatbelt on. And he, he was a bit of a spry guy and he Had a quick retort for a lot of things, so he says to the stewardess, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And it kind of shocked her for a moment, she thought, but quick on her feet, she replied, well, Superman don't need a plane either. Go ahead and put on your seatbelt. Yeah. It's at the moment of offense that we remember we're not Superman. We're not superwomen, that there are dynamics in life that can touch us. And when they touch us, they hurt. Today, we're going to deal with kind of two sides of this coin. We're going to deal with the personal pain and affliction, just the hurt that happens. And that'll be the obvious side. That, that'll that be the side that everybody in this room can relate to. I mean, even if you're just like 11 years old and you're not in middle school, where you kind of should be, maybe you're in high school, which you're in the right place, or or you're in a full-on adult, adulting all the time, you'll be able to relate to that side. But there's another side of offense that happens that sometimes doesn't catch our full attention. And that's the distraction that happens in our life when we're consumed with the offense that happened to us. It's the distraction that happens to us that gets us off course from important things, things that we would otherwise be engaged in things that deserve our time and attention, but we don't have any emotional capacity left, we don't have any capital left because we're too busy dealing with this side of the coin, that very felt problem, that felt pain that occurs when Jesus' words come true for us that it's impossible for you to go through life without being offended. So there's the pain, the hurt, the thing that's real, and we feel it, and then there is this thing that is often overlooked, the, the opportunity costs that happen to us when we don't continue to press forward on important things because we're preoccupied with this very real hurt and tension over here. Both things is what we're going to look at today. Offense and hurts are going to happen. And number two, just to to, to drill the point out, is you and I can be wronged even when you're doing the king's bidding, even when you're loving others. You can be in the perfect will of God, innocent, boldly pursuing the right things, and in the middle of that, you can still be wronged. It can happen. Like, you don't have to be doing wrong. To be wronged. You can be doing what the Bible calls every follower of Jesus to do, loving other people, and in the middle of loving other people, you can be wronged. You can be loving your spouse. You can. You're probably not perfect, but you can be, like, really killing it there. And in the middle of that, your marriage can go through some chaos. Parents, you know this one? You can be loving your kids and serving and sacrificing for them and for their good. And those little urchins can hurt you. They can. They can. Right? You've had it happen in friendships, haven't you? When people you have invested in and served and come alongside, stood with them through their stuff. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation where that relationship is a source of pain and hurt and discouragement to you. Yeah, you can be doing the right thing and still experience Jesus' words that <laughs> the things that cause people to stumble, they're going to come to you. Offenses are going to Come. So years ago, when David was on the run from Saul, he received help from Nahash, Hanun's father. But Nahash had died, so David sends his emissaries to go in an act of honor and respect. But when David's men came to the land of the Ammonites, verse 3, the Ammonite commander said to Hanan, their lord, Do you think David... Is honoring your father by sending envoys to you to express sympathy? Hasn't David sent them to you only to explore the city and to spy it out and overthrow it? And David had been building a reputation as a mighty warrior. Now he's the king, and man, he is rocking and rolling. He's building connections All over the region, anybody that comes against him, David is kind of stepping over it, and God's favor is on him. The kingdom is growing, and Israel's experiencing a time of of, of flourishing. And in that kind of a context, when David's really doing well, he does this goodwill gesture to just show friendship, to build a relationship, to go deeper and Anun has a guy in his ear saying this to him. Hey, I'd be careful about David. I'd pay attention to what is going on with David. Um, do you think that he's really just being kind? I, isn't it likely that what he's really doing is he's sending people over really to see how strong we are, to look at the fortiments of the city, to to, to get a sense of how we're laid out so that when he's ready, he can over." run the city. you got to be careful when people in your life start assuming and assigning the motives of other people in your life. You may have a friend or two who have this tendency to get in your ear, and sometimes their counsel is wise and godly and helpful, and maybe other times it isn't. That's the nature of friendships and communication. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. But Regardless of what is going on in the mind of the person and how they're trying to communicate with you, there's a wisdom that comes that asks us to be careful when people start assigning motives to the other people in your life. Hanun was already in a time of pain and loss and grief. He just lost his father. He's assuming the role of leadership. It's a time of transition and tension in his life. And at that vulnerable moment, one of his friends, one of his counselors, comes to him and says, you might want to be a little careful about this guy over here. I guess in one sense, it kind of makes sense. I mean, you can connect the dots between David, who's expanding and growing, and the need of a king to be careful. You can connect the dots to that. But David had a friendship already established with this country. David's really just trying to be honorable and respectful. We already told his motives. And yet it was the whisper in the ear that plants seeds of doubt. Assumptions are made about motives. And it's going to get a lot of people into an awful lot of trouble. There's a a spiritual gift available to believers that sometimes God gives some people more measure of this than others. And I'm going to be honest with you, I need a lot more of this one. It's called discernment. Uh, Spiritual discernment is a work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer that helps that believer to discern what's going on. Not necessarily the motives of another person. Sometimes God gives insight on that. It's rare, but it happens on occasion. But really the spirit of discernment is how do I engage this person in a way that's healthy and God-honoring and ultimately brings about God's good purpose in the relationship? How do I think about this information in a way that honors God, honors people, and ultimately moves God's agenda forward? That's what discernment does. It's a rarely exercised gift in the modern age. It's so much easier that rather than walking with caution and discernment, it's so much easier, blank number three, Says that, it, that suspicion is very, very easy, but healthy trust, born by discernment and conversation and caution, that's hard to do in relationships. It's so much easier when something is there and the dots are being connected. Especially with somebody whispering in your ear, it's so much easier to bring suspicion to the to a relationship and bring suspicion to a dynamic. Most of us already know what it's like to be hurt. It wasn't a fun time that we went through. We didn't enjoy it. We don't want to go through it again. We'd like to avoid that at any cost. And so when similar things begin to happen that happened when we were hurt before, it's really easy for us to run ahead, not do the hard work of thinking through it deeply, not do the complicated work of having conversations, not vetting the information we're having through the lens of Scripture and wise counsel. It's just easier to be suspicious all relationships suspicion's pretty easy i mean the person you're connected to isn't perfect you know that you probably have specific data in the ways that they're not perfect you have your own ego and internal processing to work through as well and you know that sometimes you weren't all that great and if you weren't all that great they're not likely to be all that great all that to say is that suspicion is a pretty easy dynamic to bring to relationships. And here it happened, not in a fair way, not in a just way. And here's the hardest part. It wasn't even accurate. The whisper in the ear that David wants to do harm wasn't even an accurate statement. But the suspicion took root. Incidental data, a little hint becomes a fact. Where suspicion is easy, healthy trust. The kind that I I like to suggest that Ronald Reagan was right about. Where he said that we should trust but verify. That work that is required. The Bible talks about it in relationships. About how the power of truth telling and direct communication helps a person verify the information they're receiving. But that's hard work. That's relationally messy. It gets put off. That's why the book of Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 13, 16, you can look this up. Here's what it says. It says that caution or prudence, wisdom, seeks knowledge and when it seeks knowledge it avoids needless battles. But that's hard to do. It's much easier to believe the whisper. It's much easier to give in to the fear and the paranoia. It's much easier to Suppose the motive of another person's heart than it is to go and have the conversation, uncover the truth, do the hard work, pray about it. That's hard work to do. And honestly, it's the kind of work that most people don't give themselves to. And like what's going to happen in this story, because we don't give ourselves to it, there's going to be, in a world where offense is normal, in a world where you can't get out of life without being offended, Because we don't do the hard work, the offense gets compounded. The challenges come at greater repetition. Suspicious minds tend to bring trouble. But people who do the hard work to verify trust have a way of managing that. That's what the Bible says, that the prudent person, the cautious person, by conversation, figures out what's going on. But well, you've seen it happen when that doesn't occur. People who have had good friendships, they begin to fight. They begin to cover up. There can be deception. Instead of apologies, there's more accusation. And friends who used to connect and build each other up begin to tear each other down to prove their own rightness, rightness in each other's eyes and to themselves and to whoever else might be looking. Look at verse number four. So Hanun... Seized David's envoys. The seeds of doubt now are springing up. They've taken root. They're growing. Hanun seized David's envoys, shaved off half of each man's beard, cut off their garments at the buttocks, and sent them away. Seeds of suspicion, wrong action, convinced he's right, so now he takes takes significant action. Grabs these envoy people, Shaves off half their beard. Now, if you see a man today with half a beard, that looks silly. But in the ancient days, that was more than just silly making. That was an ultimate way of shame. A, a, a boy would grow out his beard when he was married. A young man would grow out his beard when he was married. And as his beard would grow, it was a sign of his wisdom growing in age, his adulthood. It was a mark of honor and respect, the beard. The beard is referred to in the Bible over and over again with with uh, with bringing dignity to a person, and so Hanun has his people shave off half the beard, leaving half of it, and not just that he takes the kind of skirt-like item they were wearing and he cuts the back out of it, so that as they walk down the street coming to them, they look to people they look weird. They got you know half a beard, and then as they pass by you, you get to see their. Tiny, all bright, and shiny, right? That's what you get. And you don't really need some kind of ancient understanding here. It would look silly and be humiliating today just as much as it was back then. And remember that these are David's hand-selected emissaries, and they are brought to shame. They're humiliated. They're culturally and specifically put through a process that makes them look like half the men that they are. They come with honor, but they're disgraced and shamed. Verse 5. When David was told about this, he sent messengers to meet the men. So these men are shaved. They're flapping in the wind. And uh, David hears about it. These men are on their way home humiliated, downcast, offended. Didn't do anything wrong. They're there for a good reason. David hears about it. And he meets them for they were greatly offended. The king said, stay at Jericho till your beards have grown and then come back. Look at number four in your message notes. I want to... Talk to you for some moment about giving yourself permission to admit that you're not okay. Th- this goes back to that Superman comment I was making earlier. When it comes to offenses, nobody's a Superman or Superwoman. Hey, it's easy to look at somebody else's offense and know what they should do and not get all uptight about somebody else's. But when it's touching you, when it's a friend you've invested in, when it's your marriage, when it's a partner you've committed to, and your partnership that was built on trust has disintegrated. That's when it's really hard. That's when the words of Jesus's uh, of Jesus to his followers back in the old in the New Testament and and by proxy to us today become ringing true in our ears. That it's impossible to get through life without offense. David does something here that makes him a foreshadowing of Jesus. He demonstrates a love and a commitment and a mercy and a grace and an understanding that puts him in the same zone that Jesus is going to operate in when Jesus comes to the earth as God's ultimate representation of love. David hears about the shame and humiliation of his men, and he imagines what it's going to be like when they make it all the way back to the capital city of Jerusalem. How they're going to walk through the city gates and people are going to stare at them. As they see them coming. And then when they pass, how they're going to scare even more. How the young kids who don't know any better might even giggle at them. There might be laughter and the shame would be palpable. But David says, we're not going to have that. Don't, don't come. It's okay. Don't come back. Why don't you go to Jericho? And I want you to stay in Jericho until your beards have grown back. I, I want you to regain your honor. as the king, I'm going to provide a little bit of cover for you. I'm going to come to that place of offense, and I'm going to help you get past it. Now, I haven't experienced what they experienced. I haven't had a beard shaven, and I I don't grow a beard because I'm too short. When I grow a beard, I look like a leprechaun. It's not a pretty sight. And at Christmas, people want me to wear elf costumes, so I don't grow a beard, right? So I, I can't go through what they've been through, and I haven't experienced somebody, you know, making me walk around with a bare backside. And I certainly am not about to demonstrate it for you today to make a point, right? I like to bring on occasion things, tangible things, you know, life lessons and, and, and props and stuff, but not today, all right? Not with that one at least. So I haven't been to it, but I know exactly what it is they're going through. And I bet you do too. A sense of fear and foreboding that comes because of a shame that's come to your life. Sometimes that shame comes because of the actions of other people. Sometimes shame can come because of your own actions. But the fear that you're going to be defined or labeled or more humiliated if it gets revealed publicly grief, shame, and pain that we can bring on ourselves or brought by other people in this story, we can learn a little bit about dealing with offense and the power of other people in our lives. We can try to tough it out or keep on going. But David looks at these emissaries, some of his hand-picked men, and he says, you're tough, I- I'm going to presuppose. He's thinking, you're tough, you could. If I asked you to, you'd come back and you'd wear that shame, but I care for you. I don't want that for you, and I don't want you to be labeled that way. And I want when people look at you in the future for them and remember you that way. So I'm going to ask you to go over here. David creates an environment where they can be healed up, where some time can pass. You don't have to raise your hand, but some of you in the room, you've broken uh, a bone. You broke a leg, you broke an arm. Something something happened, and and you went to the doctor, and the doctor put a cast on you, right? put a cast on you. Now, when that doctor puts a cast on your hand or your arm, it doesn't heal you. That's not what a cast, a cast doesn't heal you. No, no, no. A cast creates an environment where the healing can occur. It separates out the pain from the rest of the world, creates an environment and a structure where the healing of the offense and the pain can occur. That's exactly what David is doing for these men here. He's creating an environment where people can be healed. The other thing that a cast does is a cast shows other people that you've been hurt. That's why, you know, when kids in my middle school and high school would break a a limb or even elementary school and they'd bring it, all their friends would sign the cast. It was an acknowledgement, oh, you've been hurt. It was kind of a, I don't know, it was kind of just a way of just acknowledging this is where you are. We'd sign that cast, right? And we'd all want to hear the story of what happened The more gruesome the story, the the better it was. And that's all fun and games when you're a kid and it's a broken arm. And when you break your arm, you know you need doctors and x-rays. But what happens when it's a heart or it's your emotions that get hurt? What do you need then? In some ways, you need the same kind of thing. You need an environment where you can heal. And rather than doctors and x-rays, you need some friends who will come alongside you and help you. Much like David saying, look, I don't want you to be identified by that offense. I don't want people to see you in that way. But for us, practically, in order to experience those things, you almost have to give yourself permission to admit that the thing has happened, that you're not okay. I'm not talking about wallowing in it and being defined by it ultimately, but acknowledging that pain has occurred, somebody did you wrong, that it's okay that to be upset that they treated you that way. It can be pretty hurtful to go through those kinds of experiences, but you can prolong the hurt. You can delay the healing if you won't give yourself permission to deal with the reality that you're facing. And you know how it is the friends can come alongside you. You know what it is when just the right word spoken by somebody you know has your well-being at heart, how powerful that is. I I think about a couple of of, of places in the Bible where friendship shows up. It's uh, Jesus looking at Zacchaeus and having dinner with this guy that nobody else wants to have and just the expression of love that Jesus has for him. I think about a couple passages in the bible that talk about the power of friendship that the bible says there's a friend that sticks closer than family that friendship can be that powerful the bible talks about the the wounds of a friend are faithful what it talks about the wounds of a friend Just so think about that for a second i'm not talking about the wounds of offense but the kind of friends who love you enough to like, tell you the truth Faithful are the wounds of a friend, Proverbs 27, 6 says. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The kind of dynamic that I'm talking about here, the kind of discernment that I'm talking about here requires you to not confuse friendship with flattery. Discernment requires the distinction between the two. And what we need in our lives are not just flatterers. We need biblical friends. Friends who tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. See, friends like that, friends like that believe that you are valuable enough to make an investment in. You're so valuable that I'm going to risk a little bit of discontent. I'm going to risk perhaps a little bit of anger and frustration. I'm going to risk perhaps even a little bit of your words back at me, but I'm going to tell you what you need to hear because I'm for your good and I want only good for you. This is biblical friendship. And the Bible says that the wounds of a friend like that, those are faithful wounds. Those are good wounds. Those are the wounds that are going to bring about good stuff in our lives. One time I was listening to my mom talk, and she rarely ever had anything bad to say about anybody. But we were uh, were at a church service, and this lady came in, and um, the outfit that this lady had on was not very, um, well, it wasn't very forgiving. Let's just put it that way. You know how some outfits can be forgiving and others aren't? And so my mom, in a moment of weakness, she didn't have many of these. I remember I overheard her say to my sister, it's a shame that that lady doesn't have a mirror or a friend in her life. Implying that if she had had a mirror or a friend, she'd have never come out in public with that. Oh, behind that little silly comment is the idea that a friend would say things to you like, you know, that's not really very flattering to you. That doesn't look good but most of us in our day and age today we don't want friendships that press in on us for our development what we want is flatterers to simply encourage us in the direction we want to go and to be a real friend is to make a deep commitment it's to pay a price because you see that person is valuable enough for me to speak into their life and that's why it's said if you have one or two really good friends like like you're wealthy you're rich I don't know about everybody that we're going to invite to our Food Direct Rally, but one of my hopes is that this will happen to a bunch of them, that they'll encounter Jesus and they'll encounter some people that will make great lifelong friends, that their friendships, the quality of their friendships will just increase. Because I know what happens when the quality of friendships increase. Life just gets better. You're never removed from the place where offense doesn't touch you. But life gets better when you have people in your life who do like David did for these men and say, Hey, look, I'm worried about you. I don't want you to be identified by that thing. Don't go here. Let's go over here and get you healed up. Those men had to give themselves a certain amount of permission to receive that input from their leader, this person who was invested in their life. I want people who come to our church to have a profound connection with Jesus and discover that he is a friend who will stick closer than a brother, that he's never had a bad thought about them, that all of his words, all of his truthful words, even when he calls them a sinner, are words spoken in love, meant only for their good. I want them to encounter that. But I want them to encounter some men and women in their life who will dare to pull them in the direction God wants them to go. How want the people that we invite in this church, my heart for them is that they'll encounter eternity being changed because they give their lives to Jesus, but they'll encounter here and now being changed because people in their life are more than flatterers, they're friends. Most of us don't need more friends as we define them typically. Most of us need more godly friends more Christian friends, more people who are going in the same direction as us, and when they see us going off the path, will call us out. The truth is, is most of our friends, if we're totally honest, don't have a commitment to our well-being enough to risk the investment necessary to tell us the truth. It's a good thing for these guys they had David. No, no, no. You come back, it's going to be bad for you. You come back, you're going to be defined by that. I have a heart for you that is bigger than that. I want you to go and I want you to sit in Jericho. By the way, don't you hate it when somebody tells you that you did good, but you know you didn't? You ever had that happen? Or somebody tells you that you look good, but you know you don't? Or... If you think about it deeply, don't you kind of really hate it when when you can't tell if the person complimenting you is telling you the truth or they're just being nice? You don't really want friends like that because when they need to tell you something important, you can't determine if they're lying to you or telling you the truth. It's okay to have a whole variety of friendships in your life, but a handful of people need to have access close enough to you and need to have a track record strong enough so that when they speak, you know they're telling the truth and you know that their words can be counted on and depended upon because they have nothing but your best interest at heart. Get yourself to Jericho number five. Put yourself in a sweet place. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Jericho had a nickname. It was called the City of Palms. There are palm trees all around it. The wind would blow through. But it wasn't just palm trees. It was a very uh, 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 agriculturally friendly area. In fact, the, the word Jericho literally means sweet fragrance. Sweet fragrance. The root of the word is fragrant or sweetness. Which is pretty powerful. David tells his men to go to Jericho. Put yourself in a sweet place. Put yourself in an environment to heal. I want you to go to that place a sweet place, a fragrant place. Now, David could have sent him to a lot of other places. In Israel's history, there were a lot of places that had significance that people were told to go to. One day, the children of Israel were traveling on the way to the Promised Land. They weren't far from Jericho, and they went to Mara. Mara, which means bitter waters, and they had to camp there. And they tried to drink the water, but the water was bitter to them, and so they called the place Mara, which means bitter waters. I mean, Sometimes when people are offended, rather than going to a sweet place, they go to a bitter place. Rather than going to Jericho, they go to Mara. Jericho is sweet and fragrant, but Mara is bitter waters. In Mara, you complain. In Mara, you lick your wounds. You're identified by your wounds. But at Jericho, You begin to give thanks that people have invested in your life and that the thing that's happened to you doesn't fully define you. It's what happened to you. It's not who you are. In Mara, you worry about the future, but in Jericho, you pray and you take your cares to God and you learn how to trust Him. In light of the current situation you're in, your trust actually begins to grow. In fact, you begin to see all the stuff that happens in your life at Jericho is God using it for your good. Even the bad stuff that happens, God uses it for your good. That's what happens at Jericho. But at Mara, you begin to hold grudges and plot revenge. I think about the Jericho environments in my life? Where do I go? Where's the sweet place I can go and deal with the offenses that happen to me? I think, for instance, about our weekend experience here. I get to come and sing about a God who isn't dead anymore. In a few minutes, we're going to sing a song that we've sung in the last couple weeks, and It's a song about how we fight our battles, and we just say it over and over again. This is how I fight my battles. This is how... Let me tell you what that song's about. It's about the power that happens when you come into a sweet place, and no matter what is going on in your life, you lift up your voice and praise to God. Three times in Israel's history, on the wind of their praise, on their voice, and their expressed praise to God, God brought victory to them. They literally fought battles by praising God and playing instruments to the Lord. So, when we sing the song in a minute, I don't know if you've come through a place that. You were tempted to be bitter about, but here's your other option. Lift up how great God is and let Him begin to tell you about how He's gonna use that very hurt in your life for your good. I mean, really, what are your options? Are you gonna carry that thing? You're gonna let God heal it? Are you gonna get revenge for yourself? Are you gonna let God do what God does? That brings us to point number six: Vengeance belongs to the Lord, it's not ours. Look at Romans chapter 12. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. In the Bible, there are two things that belong to the Lord that we're not supposed to touch. One is vengeance, the other is the tithe. We'll talk about that on another day. You're not supposed to touch them. We're not supposed to take vengeance on people. When we do that, the very offense that we've brought, we're just adding to it. We're supposed to let the Lord deal with things. Our response comes to us from Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, they were chosen emissaries by David. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. They bear your butt, put on robes of compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Look at verse 6. When the Ammonites realized that they had become obnoxious to David, they realized that we've upset David. They hired 20,000 Aramaean foot soldiers from beth Rohab and from Zobah, as well as the king of Moaca with 1,000 men and 12,000 men from Tob. So rather than like saying, hey, David, we're sorry, they start pouring on the heat. They start rallying people around them. This is what happens sometimes with the fence. It should be over. You're ready to move on, but the thing is still blowing. Now look what David, who represents the Lord and the Lord's power, does on behalf of his people. On hearing this, David sent Joab out with the entire army of fighting men. The entire army. Joab's one of David's mighty men of valor. He's one of David's right-hand people. Verse 8, the Ammonites came out and drew up in battle formation at the entrance of their city gate, while the Arameans of Zobah and Rehob and the men of Tob and Moacah were by themselves in the open country. So now they're split. In front is one army, behind is another. Joab saw that there were battle lines in front of him and behind him, so he selected some of his best troops in Israel and deployed them against the Arameans. He put the rest of the men under the command of Abishai, his brother, and deployed them against the Ammonites. Joab said, if the Arameans are too strong for me, then you come to my rescue. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come to rescue you. Look at what he says. Be strong. And let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. The Lord will do what is good in his sight. One of the ways to deal with offense, number seven, is to get strategic and connect with Christians who can help you heal and win at what really matters. The problem with the fence is both the pain that you feel gets yourself to a sweet spot, but it distracts you from the mission of life. Some of you, because of the offense in your marriage, you forget that part of your mission in life is to invest in your kids and to grow them up as godly men and women who understand that they have a call on their lives. but you're too busy fighting and being offended in the marriage. Some people are too busy licking the wounds of offense that happened in church to realize that God didn't call us to simply be healed and well. He called us to be soldiers in an army fighting a mission that he's given us to bring the gospel to other people, to be emissaries of love. One of the things we have to do is not just deal with the hurt and emotion on our side. We have to get strategic about making sure that we don't forget what the real battle is. And the real battle is not your emotional well-being, although that's important. The real battle is is to make your life count, to not squander your influence, to push in to what God has called you to do. And the enemy of your soul would like nothing more than to line up offenses to keep you from ever thinking about your purpose in life. There's always going to be people that will offend. Offense will come from the, the strangest corners of your life. But the truth of the matter is, is what you need in your life and what I need in my life are people around me who will remind me that they believe in me, they'll have the conversations, they'll help me create a sweet and pleasant environment, and they'll push me in the mission that God has for me. The reason why your marriage has to get healthy is there's an awful lot riding on it. And it's not just your joy, it's not just happiness, but God wants to use your marriage in a broke and dying world as a light to others. Out of the overflow of the love that happens in your home, he wants people to experience the love of your life, ultimately its source being Jesus. The reason why God wants your friendships healthy is he wants to show people what it's like to have community in a broken and dying world where offenses do come, but they're dealt with in honorable in godly ways. Because when that happens, man, hearts get lit on fire and people can move forward and they start getting past just the emotional bondages they're in and they start thinking about the purpose for which God has created them. Here's what I know about people that are broken and hurting and are very aware of their brokenness and hurt. They're not thinking about what their purpose is and there's a season for that. It's okay to stay in Jericho for a while but eventually you have to get back out and join the army. It's okay to go to the hospital for a while but you were not designed to sit in a hospital bed spiritually speaking. You were designed to be raised up with Christ and determine what your purpose and mission is. You'll have to quit Keeping score of your offenses if you want to win the, win the real world, if you want to win the real war. You'll have to quit keeping score of who has offended you and when if you want to get about the business of heaven in your life. I'm not trying to minimize the hurt and pain. There's a time to go to Jericho and to heal and let the beard grow back. But then there's a time to rejoin the army. Look at what Joab says. Look, the battle is big. They're in front of us and behind us. We're not going to make it. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to face one way. You face the other way. And if I start to get overcome, you come and help me. And if you get overcome, I'll come and help you. Let me just ask you bluntly. Who do you have in your life that that will serve that kind of role for you? Godly Christian friends. Godly Christian counsel, encouraging you to do the hard thing that God's calling you to do. Number nine, you're gonna to have to be brave because the odds are stacked against you in life. They're in front of you and they're behind you and everything serves as a distraction to keep you from walking in the purpose to which you've been called. But I wanna remind you something about God. You see it in David's heart for his people. God will work for your good And God will work for his glory. He's always doing those two things. God will work for your good, and he'll work for his glory. God will work for his good, and he'll work for for your good and his glory. Your good and his glory. Whatever's going on in your life, he will use it and leverage it for your good. The Bible tells us that all things, in the Greek, just so we're clear, that word all, let me tell you what it means. It means all, all, all things work together for good. The hurt, the pain, it all works for good. God will use it all. And as he's working good in your life, he's also going to make his name famous in the world and draw people to himself. So look at what happened, verse 13. Then Joab and the troops with him advanced to fight the Aramaeans, and they fled before him. You can read the rest of the chapter. But David and his crew, they wipe out the enemy. These men come back. Their honor and their dignity is restored. David's kingdom grows in power and might. Over the next couple of weeks, our church has an opportunity to reach out and to fight for, as Joab said, our people and the cities that belong to our God. Our people and the cities that belong to our God. And one of the reasons why you and I have to get past the hurt and offenses and let God take us to a sweet place and heal us, and, and let friends speak in life, is because there are our people in the cities that belong to our God that need our engagement. And I'm going to ask you to fight that battle. I'm going to ask you over the next couple weeks to make it a matter of prayer that God would use your life, no matter what you've gone through, God will use your life to bring about good in your life and bring about glory to him. That he'll even use the offenses and the pain and the hurt in your life for your good and for his glory. And that God would use our church, no matter how imperfect we are. Our church was designed for imperfect people. No matter how imperfect we are, God will use it for our good and his glory. And people would come to this place and they would experience Jesus And in the battle, we do remember what really is at stake is not our reputation. What's not at stake is our good. What's at stake is our people and the cities that belong to our God. There is work to be done. There's work to be done. Over the next few weeks, we have an opportunity to do it. Our work over the next few weeks looks like this. Who is it in your life? Maybe who's offended, who's hurt, who's broken. Maybe who got hurt in church. Maybe their parents let them down. Maybe there's a relationship that went south and they are broken. And they don't know that there are in this place potentially godly friends who will come alongside them. And your job is to connect the dots for them. Tell them the truth. You're hurting. I think you need this. Maybe there are friends who seem like they have it going on. But they're not living a purpose filled life. They're not walking in design. It's really all about them. Do you understand that, that God can use them powerfully in his kingdom? That every person you lock eyes on, God has tapped on the shoulder and says, let me use you in my, per, in my kingdom. And when I do, it'll be good for you and it'll bring glory to my own name. Our job is to connect the dots for people, to reach out, to love them enough and invite them. So I wanna ask you, who is it in your life that you can be like David was to those men? Hey, I see your nakedness, I see your shame and I'll come alongside you and I'll speak truth. Like I'll stand with you as Joab Spoke to Abishai, and we'll work this thing together. The stakes are high, and you and I can't afford to stay offended and not press forward on what God's called us to do. So I want you to do this. Why don't you grab out your connect card? Let's actually turn some of what we've been talking about into a few steps together. If by chance you joined us today and you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know that that little bit of information about David and his heart for his people. That is a picture of Jesus and his heart for you. He loves you. The Bible says we were naked, blind, and ashamed, but because of the grace of God demonstrated with Jesus, we can be clothed in righteousness, our blindness can be opened, and our shame can be completely restored, wiped away, and covered. The Bible says it this way, that if we'll acknowledge that we're sinners we can't save ourselves, and we'll trust the work that Jesus has done on the cross and in his resurrection that we can become children of God. I'd ask you to take your pen and check next step A right there on your Connect card. It says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. And in a minute, I'll give you an opportunity to pray and ask God to come into your life and to lead you. Or how about today, maybe your step is today is I need to be baptized, and I'm choosing today to be baptized. That's how we start the conversation. If you check that box, we'll follow up with you. Now, next step C today is a prayer for everybody in the room. You can pray it every morning this week. If you check it, I'll send it to you. It says, Father, today help me to live in your love and to boldly fight for your work in other people, to be that kind of friend that David was, to stand alongside like like Joab had in his life. Or how about next step D? Memorize 2 Samuel 10, 12. I love this verse. I memorize it. It says, be strong and let us fight bravely for our people and for the cities of our God. And the Lord will do what is good in his sight. Let us be strong. Let us be brave. One version of the Bible actually says this, man. You might like this. It says, let us play the men. It's almost as if you might have to act it out a little bit Do you get there. Let us play the men and let us fight for God and for, the, for our people and for the cities that belong to God. I believe if you take God's word and hide it in your heart, it helps you not to sin. It helps you to walk in power and boldness. Now, next step E gets right to our point for the next couple of weeks. It says, I'll invite a friend to 4C's Food Truck Rally happening on September 16th. It's very simple. Come have lunch with me after first service. Come have lunch with me after sec- second service. If you want to get really generous, do what I do. Say, hey, I'll buy your lunch if you'll show up and be my guests. Cost me about 20 bucks about 10 bucks a head to invite a couple people. You don't have to do that, but invite somebody and help them discover a place where they'll discover a God who loves them and people who love them as well. I can't think of a better way to be a friend than to put people in a sweet place like this. Why don't you set aside your Connect card? And if you call this church home, this is your opportunity to give back to God a portion of what he's blessed you with. This week I got to hear from a couple in our church who went through a rough season and they called the church. I met with them briefly and at the end of that conversation I was able to send them to counseling, Christian professional godly counseling. People who have earned degrees, like have seen people go through stuff before and know exactly how to help them and can get into the deep ends of the pool with people. That was a few months ago. And this week the phone call was just to hey Ben, thank you. We're really at a different place than we were. We we thought our relationship was over. We thought it was done. And we just wanted to say thank you. And it so encouraged my heart, but behind my offer to them really wasn't just my own kindness and generosity, it was yours. It was me knowing that we had money in an account because of your graciousness and your generosity that I could look without even having to verify the numbers, I could say to this couple in a moment, hey, if you'll go to counseling, we'll pay for it. We only do that because of your generosity in this place. In a few weeks when our guests show up, as I told you last week, there'll be toilet paper in the bathrooms and hot coffee on the counter, and the kids will have material in front of them teaching them about Jesus. That happens because of your faithfulness to give, and we're grateful. So thank you. Thank you for letting me Express to this couple that this church loves you enough to make an investment in you. And thank you for your faithfulness that allows me to invite friends, knowing that when they come here, we'll be ready to receive guests in two weeks on our anniversary for our food truck rally. Let's pray about our next steps and our offering that we're going to give right now. Would you bow with me? Father, I want to thank you that you have come alongside us and you have covered us. You've given us a a a, a safe environment to heal and you've covered the biggest offense of our life that offense that was marked by sin and shame you gave us your robes of righteousness and you covered our nakedness you opened our eyes so we could see and you tapped us on the shoulder and called us to the greatest calling in this life to be your soldiers men and women committed to your agenda in this world an agenda of love and grace and acceptance and seeing the value of people. I pray, God, that today we would lay down our offenses enough, our offenses enough, and we would see the calling to which we're called, that high calling. we deal with our hurts, but we wouldn't stay in the hospital. we move forward. I pray, God, that we'd be the kind of friends to others that we need in our own lives. Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to reach out to broken and hurting people? Father, over the next two weeks, would even now you begin preparing the hearts of men and women who are going to come at our food truck rally, that they would be receptive to the gospel, to the truth that is preached? God, would you raise up men? Would you raise up women who would be inviters, who would be evangelists and invite people? Father, I want to pray for the men and women right now who are declaring, Jesus, save me. Wash away my sins. I commit my life to you. Lead me, and I'll follow. And God, would you take our steps today, and would you take our offering as an act of worship? Would you be honored by it? Would you be pleased with it? And would you use it for our good and for your glory? We pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.